Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Right, this week's episode of the Lord's Cricket Podcast comes to you from the home dressing room at Lord's. What a place to record the episode and what a person to record it with. Um, I sat down with Darren Goff in that home dressing room and chatted about his five-wicket haul here at Lords and his England career. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Dan, Hi guys. You, you alright? Yeah. How does it feel to be back? Yeah, fantastic, mate. Lovely view. Best view in the, uh, in the house, isn't it? Um, overlooking the ground from the dressing room. It's a special dressing room. You can tell we're in London because it's a lot better upholstery than when you get up at Edinburgh. <laughs> It's fantastic, great place to come. Every player wants to play here, wants the privilege of being in the home dressing room. Most of us might have played in an away one, but to come in the home one, you know you're playing for England. You're listening to the Lord's Cricket Podcast with me, Will Rowe. These are the stories from the home of cricket with the people that made them. Joining me today is an absolute legend of English cricket, it's Darren Goff. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. Nice to be back in the dressing room. It is. Every time I come back in here, it's special uh, from the first game I played way back in uh, 1989 um, to, to, to now, doing an interview, a podcast with you. So, yeah, special place. Obviously, Yorkshire came here with Yorkshire, it was a different uh, dressing room, but for England, always sat in the corner, walked through the main door in the dressing room, to the right, bang, that's my corner, right next to the window, other corner opposite, Alex Stewart, and we remained there for the rest of them, where you sat at this moment, right in the middle of the room near the doors, that was in Mike Atherton and Andrew Flintoff's spot, so everybody had their spot, it was really, really weird, and you only got a new spot if one of those guys got the elbow and he wasn't picked. Who was in your spot before then? Or I have no you... idea, but I nicked it <laughs> as soon as I came in. I can't remember, but Andy Caddick sat uh, by me as well. Uh, he sat um, to the right of me. I sat right near uh, that corner window, and I loved that spot. I got a good view of the cricket if I wanted to watch it. Most of the time I was on a physio bed watching TV up in the corner. Um, but it's a special place. On the 20th of April in 1989, a young Darren Goff makes his first-class debut for Yorkshire. In those days, it was a three-day county championship, and it was against Middlesex here at Lords. The 18-year-old Darren, as you can imagine, takes to it like a duck to water. 
To come here was obviously a special occasion. Everybody kept telling me. I'd seen it on TV. I came down on the train, stayed in the hotel just across the road. Uh, bacon sandwich. I even remember what I had on the first morning. In fact, two bacon sandwiches, a couple of English breakfast tea. Nice. Came out here and made my debut against Middlesex. Never forget it. How did it go? I think you picked up, was it Paul Downton? Was he your first first class wicket? Paul Sidebottom, second slip. That's um, Arnie Sidebottom. Uh, Arnie Sidebottom, yeah, not Ryan. I played with his son as well. I did quite a few father-son combinations throughout my career, uh, but that was the first, uh, obviously. Um, and I actually bowled, uh, yeah, it was always this end. Um, I bowled this end, uh, the pavilion end, and um, just a little outswinger to Paul Downton, who opened the batting uh, for Middlesex in those days. Just a little outswinger, caught the outsider, Johnny Sidebottom, caught it low, low uh, to his right. But I was only kind of, I wasn't quick then, I was really a swing bowler, so I per yeah. the conditions early season were for perfect for my type of uh, bowler, bowling about 82 miles an hour, little bit of swing, green tinge to the pitch, and it was a nice delivery. And you also, I think you got Mike Gatting out in that um, in that match as well. Second innings. Yeah. Um, um, I can't remember. Who else did I get out in the first? It might have been one of the tailenders. Was it Norman Cowan rings a bell? You got Court Bairstow, Bold Goff. Yeah, Norman Cowan. <laughs> I'm surprised I remembered that. Uh, I think the second innings, this is purely guesswork. And see how I go, because you'll probably have the scorecard. I think right I here, yeah. John Carr. <laughs> Uh, second innings caught by us bold goff yep for 31 got John Carr got Mike Gatting yep caught Blakey bold goff yep uh, third one I haven't got a clue Angus Fraser well no he only took two wickets so oh, that was it I? yeah second innings oh I got three in the first three in the first in the yeah three for 44 in the first it was uh, Paul Downton uh, who else did you pick up Ken Brown? Yeah, Brownie, yeah. Yep. Brownie, yeah. I remember that now. Caught Bairstow, Bold Goff. So, yeah, that was, uh, that, was your, that was your Yorkshire debut, and it was here at the home of cricket. You've, you've had quite a, a love affair with this ground, but I want to go back to, to the start, where it all started. 1970, you were born in, in Monk Breton, in Barnsley. What was life like growing up for Darren Goff? Um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, I think uh, my mum and dad always worked hard. My dad had loads of jobs, number of jobs, anything from uh, delivering uh, machinery to a milkman um, and then became um, a rat catcher, what they used to call it. That's what the headline was on my... Um, oh, it was a bit unfair, that, wasn't it? Yeah, sort of a bouncy <laughs> rat catcher, which he actually was, uh, what do they call it now, um, technician, don't they? So uh, yeah. um, he's got on to do well in business, have his own business, uh, doing that sort of stuff, pest control. And, um, yeah, it was a bit unfair, the headline. David Bairstow, I remember, didn't take too well to that headline. He cornered the journalist and told him what he thought of him. Uh, thought it was out of line. But listen, like most kids where I'm from, uh, most of us grew up playing sport on the streets, whether it were Wimbledon, we'd play tennis, athletics, we'd all run up and draw our own athletics track. Yeah. We'd go up to the park put the uh, shirts down and play football every single day in the cricket season we'd play a bit of cricket uh, so that was basically my upbringing was just being on a cul-de-sac a street with a load of uh, guys and girls just playing sport all the year round nothing else but sport that was my life it was very outdoorsy you were 
You're a massive football fan. You said if you had your brother's pace, uh, if you had Adrian's pace, you would have been a footballer. Is that true? Yeah, my brother. Listen, I feel for my brother a bit because it was very hard for him to follow. Yeah. Uh, when the oldest one has gone and has a success as a sportsman, I think it's very, very hard for the younger one to follow. Now, he's as talented at sport as me, without a doubt. Very talented at football. Play for Yorkshire, play for England schools, colleges at football. He ran uh, the 100 metres, which uh, was pretty good. He had a left foot on him. Because um, my family's very mixed up like that. I mean, I right left handed, play cricket uh, right handed. I'm with my feet, I can kick just as well with both. It's really, really weird, confusing uh, sometimes because when I play racket sports, I never know which hand to use. Yeah. I have to serve with my right as the power. But then I swap hands, so I'm always playing forehand. What, you, you serve right-handed and swap to left-handed? Yeah, yeah both <laughs> left forearm, left-handed and, and right-hand forearm. Right, got Which you. really, really confuses people. And even doing it table tennis, I'm that quick at swapping hands. You're just averse to a backhand. Yeah, I just don't like If I have to backhand, I have to do it left-hand. Right. It's weird, isn't it? So like I said, very confusing. My brother's left, all left. Uh, and he was very, very quick. He played cricket for uh, Barnsley. Um, he played football, obviously, to a very high level. He ran to a very high level. And he still does triathlons now, and he's three years younger than me, so he's a fit lad. Totally opposite to me, full stop. <laughs> <laughs> So in the summer of 1994, Darren makes his England debut against New Zealand at Old Trafford in the final test of a three-match series. He takes six wickets and is picked for the next game at Lords against South Africa, who are playing their first test in England since the apartheid era. England were captained by Mike Atherton, with the likes of Alex Stewart, Graham Gooch, Phil De Freitas and Angus Fraser in the starting eleven. We chat about that game and how Darren's larger-than-life persona fits into the dressing room. I think when I'm in a group, it brings out that um, that extrovert kind of that's inside me. Yeah. But I very much like my own space as well. So um, when we do the personality testing, which came at later dates, I'm very much where I was in the middle because I do like my own space. Um, I am a different person when I'm away from the spotlight to when I'm in it. But you put me in a dressing room and yeah, I, it comes out. I, I was there too. I believe I was born to entertain, whether it was to football, to cricket, uh, to Saturday night television. That's what I wanted to do and um, this was where I was in my prime, within a dressing room, going out there, playing for your country. I think we came up against a very, very strong South African side. That, that South African side from 92 through to... Um, probably about 98, 99 was very, very strong. They had a great pace attack. They had a good leader at uh, that time, two good leaders, Kapler Vessels, who was coming to an end. And uh, obviously the next one to follow him was Hansi Kronje. Um, so they were very, very strong, uh, competitive, wanted to prove to the world what we'd been missing for so long. And they did. Um, <laughs> they, they beat us quite comfortable uh, that game. Um, Arnold Donald was one of the quickest guys I ever faced, absolutely top class quality uh, performer. Um, and it was a pleasure to play against them, it was really, really hard work. And I think in that game, actually, I might have actually, um, I'm not sure if it was that series or one later where I, Alan Donald, I think, broke my finger. So I actually missed the test. I think I retired hurt in the second innings. And I think I broke my finger that game. Donald again, he's in now, he bowls, and that's played down nicely by Goff, past short leg Liebenberg, and they go for a single. So, and then hit uh, Goff on the hand. On his bowling on hand. On his bowling hand, too. He whipped his uh, 
glove off and um, he pulls it on again now. I don't think he's, from what we've seen so far, he's pulled it off again now, the glove. He's, maybe he is in a little bit of trouble. And in that 94 test match, it was actually quite a controversial one because well, it was, was. It was um, Mike Atherton's dirt in the pocket affair. You, what did you think to that coming in? Just like Weird, uh, because I remember the conversation we had, and this is honest truth, because I think it was slightly taken out of it. Mike Atherton really um, was a leader, like I said, a, a team that was in a lot of transition. We were losing a lot of games. Um, but at home we were pretty strong in one day cricket but Tess like I said it was all over the shop there was no continuity um, we had no real plan he was the captain Ian Salisbury was bowling it was a hot day and I was bowling at the other end and we had a conversation but listen I've just got the ball reversing because that was the first, kind of the first type of people remember who used to bowl very similar to some of the Pakistani bowlers Akam and, and Wakad who had had such um, an influential uh, Product, weren't they? With, with, that, with that in swing and reverse swing, but you know, I think it was '91 or '92 they toured here in England, and I copied that, and that's what turned the corner for me. So it was reversing, and I thought, "Oh, I'm in the game here." But whatever you do, keep the ball dry. Now, yeah. others, I don't know if anybody knows others. He's a really clammy type guy of his hands, and if you see a spinner sometimes, and Ian Salisbury too, clammy hands. They put the hand on the foot crease, don't they, just to keep the hand dry. So basically, others thought he could put some dirt in his pocket, and every time his hands were clammy, he'd just rub his hands rather than keep going down because it looked bad. But hey, hey, it looked really bad, didn't he? Putting his hand in his pocket, grabbing out some dirt, and putting it on his hands. And um, obviously, um, I honestly believe, and I do to this moment, and knowing others, and I think people who know him really know Mike Atherton, would say it was an innocent mistake, but it didn't look good, did it? Let, let's be honest about it. So um, I think it's one thing he'll, he'll probably regret, but that's the way I saw uh, what happened. Um, but it did help me, actually. I think I got four for Goff, nice short approach. Bowls pulled by Hudson in the air, and Gooch running around at the fine leg. Takes a great catch. And Goff, who's no doubt perspiring a little, dries his hand on the back of his trousers and sets off again from this pavilion end. And bowls to Peter Kirsten. That beats him as appeal for a catch. Kirsten is not moving, but Dickie Bird is now seeing him on his way. The finger goes up. Goff in and bowls to Vessels, who drives outside the off-stump. The appeal, Vessels is gone. You got four for both innings. Um, so this is your first Test match at Lords. Uh, I think the honours boards would have been up by then. They, I think, they were put up in around ninety one, ninety two. On a personal note, I mean, the team got beat quite comfortably in the end. Three hundred fifty six oh. runs. It was a, a bit of a mauling. Yeah. Uh, but personally, you must have been thinking, ah, just one wicket each time away from getting up there. Of course, a desperate again on, on on the board. I think. There's certain grounds you go along to in your life, which I came on uh, throughout most of my career, and I thought, where do I want to get five wickets? When I look back now, I think, where are the real places I wanted to do it? Lords, the home of cricket. Headingley, my home of cricket, because that's where I play most of uh, uh, the sport. SCG, very similar to Lords, the home of Australian cricket. And Melbourne, 90,000 people in there. For me, realistically, there were four places. If I could pick four places to get five for... That would be it, yeah. And I achieved it. And Lords was the last, well, the last one for me. And I thought I was never going to get on there. I'd done it in a one-day game. Goff bowls outside the off stump, and Elliot flirts with it, and he's caught at second slip. Steve War has 17, and Darren Goff 
He's bowling from the pavilion end. Away he goes and bowls to Wall now. He's edged and beautifully caught. What a catch. Edged and out. Knight takes the catch at second slip. A third wicket for Darren Goff. Goff bowls again. Owen Walker goes in on the pad. He's out. He's out. He's out. He's gone. Well bowled, Darren Goff. Goff bowls again. Gillespie goes for a mighty hit and is caught at mid-off. That was in 1997. You took five for 44 against the Aussies in an ODI, but no honours board. No honours board. <laughs> you keep telling me you're going to change that. But, uh, you're going to put up a one-day honours board, which would be fantastic because I'd be on that as well. Uh, but I do remember that game. It was special. I think it's still the best one-day figures here. Um, it is, yeah. Yeah. So I'm still. And when you walk around, it's a proud thing because you see your figure, you see the name up at the far side under the media centre. You see your placard it says Degoff five for forty for against Australia. It says the year '97. And it's special. It really, really is. And every time you come come back to Laws, you're reminded of it. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. As Darren just mentioned, he still has the best figures by an Englishman at Lords in a one-day international, with 5 for 44 against Australia in 1997. In fact, he's the only England bowler to take a one-day five-wicket haul at the ground, but he's still yet to do it in a test match at Lords. Four years later, it comes. In 2001, England are now captained by Nasser Hussain and playing Pakistan. It's time to put things right. Well, realistically, I thought 31, like I say, I was at my peak. I, I think I got player of the series, a few test series in a row. I was I was flying. Um, and that year, I did an unbelievable uh, year, um, obviously the summer. 
and I thought this could be well and truly you never know what's around the corner I said I'm 31 now I've got to somehow get on that board and it happened very quickly against Pakistan a good Pakistan side when you look at them um, uh, that series they had some top top players Saeed Amwar um, Inzi I think played yeah that, that uh, Yusuf uh, yeah. Yohanna it's about Mohamed Yusuf now y- Yunus Khan was in that team Yunus Khan spe- they, they had a good side a real real strong team uh, and an unbelievable pace attack uh, it was Akhtar <laughs> Yunus and Akram yep. now that's pretty was it Mahmood as well and Azar Mahmood <sighs> pretty special ball attack that let me tell you in English conditions um, so to do it at Lords against a very good Pakistan team uh, was special um, and it happened very quickly really um, towards the end I think Carrick ball was it Carrick who bowled well that game as well yeah um, and yeah. He, he was already on the board um, and he was sniffing again so I had to be quick because <laughs> uh, he'd stopped me on a few occasions I think he'd stopped me against um, Zimbabwe um, I ended up with four for there against Zimbabwe uh, in a one-off test uh, we played two test series here in Trent Bridge he stopped me uh, getting on the board that day when I knocked the first four over and I never got back on um, and he cleaned up and got on the board and um, like I said to get on there and against a very very good team as well um, was was satisfying here's Govgen oh that's in the end he's caught there by Atherton slip uh, he felt for it and it flew low, about chest high to Atherton, who, the secret of that, Atherton stayed down uh, until the very, the ball was there. He took it in his chest, but he was very much on his haunches. And that is a very important wicket for Darren Goff. Here comes Goff in bowls. Oh, and the big appeal, Ravi Dobby's out! He's gone, he's gone, uh, Johanna. He went to play that to leg. I think he was across the line, and Goff appealed, and umpire Willie gave him out without much hesitation. Johanna walks slowly back towards the pavilion, a disappointed man. Yeah, so that five-week hold, you, you did the sort of classic. You got the top order and then you wrapped up the tail. So Saeed Anwar caught Atherton Bowl Goff. Mohamed Youssef, LBW Goff. It just came back down the slope, yeah. I think. Classic Goff delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Meant to swing out, nip back. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and then it was Rashid Latif caught Stuart Bowl Goff. It sort of strangled down the leg side, that one. Yeah, I remember. But I did him in the second he's caught behind as well with a good delivery. Don't worry about that. <laughs> At that point, the umpires brought you in for lunch. And then you came back out to resume your over, and it was uh, Waka Yunus caught Thorpe at third slip, bowl Goff, and then Shoei Bakhtar, the next ball, bit of late swing, cleaned up. Five foot. Yep. And that's down the leg side, they appeal for a catch, and he's yeah. given himself out. So, Darren Goff has taken his 200 test wicket, his victim is Rashid Latif. Goff bowls again, oh, it's in the air, he's out! He's Waka's out, he's caught there by Thorpe, falling across to his left in front of Triscothi. Uh, Wackard drove, got the edge, and that is a very important wicket for England. And now Pakistan really are going to have a, a, a fight on their hands if they're going to avoid the follow-on. Here comes Goff in, Bowles. Oh, he bowled him! He bowled him! He, um, Shoebakar just put forward, Goff has hit the stumps. Pakistan all out for 203. Shoebak, first ball, bowled Goff for naught. Wazim Akram is 19, not out. And Alex Stewart will now have... He's waving to the Pakistan dressing room. I thought he would have enjoyed the trip along the corridor at Lords to knock on the room when they said, come in, you can say, now I'm going to invite you to, to bat again. I think that's brilliant, Henry. I, cert- I certainly wouldn't be waving to the... Uh 
to the balcony to tell them to bat. I, I might want to make that trip up the stairs into their dressing room and knock on the dressing room door and say, uh, Pakistan, you can bat again. But that's fantastic bowling from Darren Goff. That's what he's, one of his trademark deliveries. Fullish ball, defeating Shoaib Akhtar. All ends up and... Uh, Pakistan defeated for 203 and no doubt will be following on. Lords, for me, I always probably delivered most of the time. Uh, there was a couple of times I didn't. Uh, one was my last game, uh, which is not surprising I didn't deliver then. I was really on the downward slope in Test cricket. But come then, I thought after that I'd get on again. I really, really did, honestly. But unfortunately for me, that winter was the moment where injuries struck. And it was the start of a, a, a long journey and a few operations to try and get back on the park. So England wrap up victory over Pakistan by an innings and nine runs. Darren's on cloud number nine, but as you were just hearing, injury soon strikes. In the winter of 2002, during an ODI against New Zealand in Dunedin, he tears the cartilage in his right knee. It's not good. That year he undergoes three operations, but sadly he never truly recovers. Even to this day, Darren still suffers with that knee. The next summer, South Africa, captained by a young Graham Smith, are in town, and England are keen to get their strike bowler back on the park. Um, came back at the start of um, 2003. I'd only played a few games, got picked in the one days, um, and I did well against, I think it was South Africa. Yeah, it was South Africa. Obviously, we uh, played in the final here, and I did Callis and Herschel Gibbs in the final. Um, so, performed really, really well. And then um, I've been replaced in the England side, obviously, because of the injuries. I've not been playing county cricket. And I was fine with it, and I was going to go back to Yorkshire, have a couple of uh, the plan was to have uh, with the team, because my knee had swollen up a little bit. And by then, I was travelling uh, to Germany to have it drained every uh, two weeks or so. So the plan was to go and get my treatment, ongoing treatment, um, and, and just chill out for a while, and then get back to strength work and go back to playing county cricket. Few injuries, they saw me do well in the one day as the ball was swinging around and they picked me for Edgbaston in the test. So I'm not going to say no and I played in it and it was flat. Oh, it was flat. It seemed for the first half an hour where I looked like I was going to get a wicket every ball because I was still a very skillful bowler but I just didn't have the pace. That 90 miles and average speed around 87, 88 had gone. I was now back down to where I started as a swing ball. <laughs> I was around the 83s, 82, 83. We could get up there when I got warmed up but it took me a while to get going. Graham Smith obviously got a double uh, there. I got one wicket dip and out which wasn't a great delivery. I think it was caught square leg. <clears throat> and then it was back to back at Lords and they picked me again which I couldn't quite believe um, I should have said no played and it was to be the end I knew soon as I walked off the pitch at the end of play um, it was my decision I walked in the dressing room I packed my bag I didn't say anything to anybody about uh, what had just happened I told NASA yeah and uh, then I rung um, the chairman of selectors Debbie Gravney and I just told him on the way home, I said, that's it, um, I don't want to play, I can't play anymore, I'm, I'm no longer the bowler I was. I said, I bowl at 87 to 90 miles an hour, I can't do that, and there's no way I'm just going to steal a living playing test match cricket when I can't do it. Goff burrs to him and this time he drives, and this is his 150, past Harmison at mid-off, going up towards the extra cover boundary, it'll be cut off just in front of the tavern stand, and they run free 
So not only has Smith reached 152, but South Africa have reached 300 for the loss of only one wicket in reply to England's 173. I said, because that is destroying everything I've built throughout my career about knocking over tail, reverse swing, in swinging Yorkers. Couldn't do it anymore. So yeah, I could have probably gone out of this test match, had a few months off and then gone away in the winter again. I might have got stronger. Something could have happened. But I walked off, packed my bag, rang David Graveney in the car and just said, sorry mate, that's it, the end of me. I released the statement instantly. And I said, I'll carry on playing one day. As I just got, uh, I said, done really, really well in the final. And it was a good decision for a while. I mean, um, went away and I, I performed really well for England in one day cricket for another few years. But Test cricket was never to be again. And I think it surprised a lot of people, but I just didn't take time out and get my leg strong again. But it was never, I, leg was never going to get better. Yeah. I've gone on since then. I, the moment I retired, about six, uh, 18 months later, I had the cartilage totally out. Um, after I've had five operations and it had not worked, so then I had that one and it totally out. And still going on now, I've had, since I retired, I've had two ops. My third one was only this uh, last uh, year when I had a called an osteotomy, so I've got seven screws now in my right femur to support my knee. And that's not the end. At some point, um, and this all happened from 2001, twisting in the footholds on my right knee, and since then I was never the same bowler. Was that painful for you coming off here at Lords, knowing that that was it? Because of it was, yeah. you were someone that had given so much for England and played with so much passion and yeah. desire. Of course, it was. Like I said, between '96 um, and 2001, I was one of the best bowlers in the world. I think I got up to number two, or might have even got to number one in one-day cricket. I'm not quite sure, but I was up there. I was taking wickets every series. I was up with for winning the player of the series every single series, and. I left 150 test wickets out there, absolutely, 31 struck down. You take out the two tests I come back for after mm. three or op four operations, weren't the same, I was never going to be the same. 2001, getting injured in New Zealand, in Dunedin, in a one-day game, that ended my test career, basically. Didn't think it at the time, because you think you're invincible, but never got back to the bowl that I was. and. Um, um, yeah, of course it's sad. Of course it is. I say I left at least 150 test wickets out there. And for a bowler in my era to go and get 400 test wickets would have been unheard of. I think now, I think we're going to see it yeah. a lot because guys now don't have to play. They just don't play county cricket, not like us guys uh, did in yesteryear, back in my day. Yeah. I hate saying that, but it is. Back in our day, we had to play a test, go back and play your county, go back and play test one day, and it catches up with you. Sitting here now in this dressing room, uh, does it feel like only yesterday you were here or does it feel a, a longer time ago, do you know what I mean? Well, it's been a long time now. <laughs> um, 15 years. Yeah. 15 years uh, since I played my last test here. Um, every time I come back here, I still think about some of the good times. I still think about some of the bad times. What I would have liked to have done is played here in a final. I missed the final here because of that injury. Um, um, when Yorkshire played here in one of the CNG would it have been I think um, final I missed that um, but other than that playing every test every one day here was, was special I remember the first game in the World Cup against Sri Lanka um, played that year which we won um, I think I got Jason Rea who opened the batting that was one of the first wickets caught slip 
so that was a special moment first game of the World Cup uh, so yeah I had some great memories there and your England career, you finish with 229 wickets uh, from the 58 tests. Um, as you say, you, probably, you should have played more test matches, but you are still England's 12th overall uh, wicket taker. And um, I was getting a bit stato before this podcast. If you do people that have played 60 tests or less or fewer, you're third on the list. So it's Graham Swan, he's 60 tests, 255 wickets. Alec Bedser, 51 tests, 236, and then yourself. So, I mean, in terms of um, guys that didn't play more than 60 tests, you're mm. sort of top of the tree, basically. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty special. I, I knew that. Like I said, um, I, I'd like to erase the last two tests out of my career. I really would, uh, because I think my test career ended in 2001. Um, but the two tests I played in two or three were just basically a swan song. And when I look back now, I wish I wouldn't have played them. <laughs> but uh, it was the reality check to still to realise. But the step up, which a lot of people don't realise, between county cricket and test cricket, people still can't get it. They still think, a lot of guys who have never played it think, yeah, I probably should have played for England. It's not that easy. The step up is absolutely massive. Second team to first team, it's not that big. Trust me, it's not that big. You go from first class cricket to test cricket, it's a mountain. It really, really is. And I worked that out the hard way, coming back from injuries to try and come back into something I was dominating at the time, to thinking, whoa, what's happened? And that is the gap. That's how big the gap is. In the final part of the podcast, Darren and I chat about England in the 90s, his memory and annoyance that that team has often been remembered as a failure. Even now, people say, oh, yeah, you played in that rubbish side in the 90s. No, it wasn't rubbish at all. Come 96 onwards, that was a very, very strong team. It became settled. We beat most teams. The only team we couldn't beat was the greatest Australian team that's ever lived. They were ridiculous, that that Australian team. Uh, For about six, seven years, they were just almost unbeatable. Um, And other than that, we competed and beat almost everyone. We went to Pakistan and won, we went to Sri Lanka and won. That was never heard of. People said, oh yeah, you're not going to win over there, you're going to have spinners. Well, we bowled them out of the scene. And I had decent series again in Pakistan and in Sri Lanka. And that was a very good team and I was proud to play with every single one of them. And I don't think we get the credit we actually deserve because it's all 2005 on, isn't it? That's where the credit came. I could totally get it because yeah. they won the Ashes and we waited so long for it. But there were some good teams before that. And just to, to finish on that side, of, of those guys that you played with, who was who was your sort of best mate in the dressing room? Do you know something? I got on absolutely everyone. Um, but when I first started, my first Aussie tour, I mated around with Devon Malcolm, Phil DeFreitas, they were my closest uh, guys when I first started. Obviously Craig White, who I room with a lot, played at Yorkshire with him. Robert Croft um, became a good mate of mine, very close uh, with him. Dominic Cook was a good friend. We lived together from being 19 in New Zealand, so we always had a close bond. Um, Andy Carrick, uh, for all the criticism we get about me and Andy uh, saying we um, didn't get on, and some of the people have wrote in their books absolute comical me and Caddy, yes we had a friendly rivalry but night before a test match me and Caddy, date night always went to the cinema 
uh, really? together. Alan Mullally tried to join in that. He came <laughs> with us as well when we went on certain tours he was selected for. But me and Caddy were close. And we've kept in touch uh, since we retired. I've been down to see him, obviously, where he lives in Somerset. Um, and we've remained uh, pretty close uh, throughout. So all that stuff you read about me and Andy, it's absolute bull. I love that idea of Goff and Caddick on a date night the night before a test. Hey, Diet Coke and popcorn, mate. <laughs> El Nacho Grandes can't beat it. Fantastic stuff. Well, Darren, thanks so much for coming on the the podcast today. This has been the Lord's Cricket Podcast. It, we, we've been talking about your 5 for 61 special moment. It's been a special ground for you. So, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Pleasure. You've been listening to the Lord's Cricket Podcast with me, Will Rowe, and that was the Darren Goff story. It was great fun to sit down with Darren. He was a childhood hero of mine, and it was really quite surreal to be in the home dressing room at Lord's, uh, sitting opposite him and just chatting about his England career. Um, he's someone that, when you watched um, as a child, I'd go to go to watch him at Headingley mainly, and you know, just watching him steam in, he really was an entertainer. He was some, someone that you just felt could make things happen, and that was, that was clearly the way he played the game. Um, I mean, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe. Also, you know, give the show a rating. It does help to get the podcast out there. Also, just tell a friend, um, people that you think might like to listen to this, just please spread it the old-fashioned way by word of mouth. That would be great. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Homer Cricket, or you can follow me personally. I'm at WillRow2. You can also contact the show by email. It's podcast at mcc.org.uk. And once again, a massive thank you to the ECB and the BBC for allowing us to use commentary clips there um, during that podcast. Uh, plenty of blowers in that one, which is uh, which made me smile a lot. Right, next week, um, next Monday, the podcast is with Marcus Truscothic. Um It was an absolute pleasure to catch up with Marcus. It was down in Taunton. I went down earlier in the summer to have a chat with him about his final test century. It was against Sri Lanka and it was here at Lord's. Once again, many thanks for listening. Uh, This has been the Lord's Cricket Podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.